You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Week two is in the books, and welcome to Pros Like Us. I know you guys have a lot of choices out there. Thanks for making us part of your football week. Uh, like I said, week two in the books, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of heroes, a lot of duds, and we'll try to sort it out for you. Alex, uh, I don't know. I mean, anybody that really stood out to you, maybe not the MVP of the week that we're introducing this week, but uh, what do you got for me? The injuries, slow. I think we got to start there, and uh, I think ugly, ugly, ugly. I yeah, one it. was Monday night again for the second consecutive week. Nick Chubb goes down, and maybe the Browns' season goes up in flames. I'm not saying that. It's just look at the Jets with Aaron Rodgers being out, and you know the the dud that they laid you know, against, uh, you know, in week two. So, you know, Zach Wilson is is no Aaron Rodgers. So not having Nick Chubb as your running back for the entire season, Deshaun Watson not playing well, turning the ball over, fumbles, interceptions. I mean, he's the first one to admit it in the press conference that he's not playing well, and now he's got to pick up the slack. It's, it's going to be in... You know, it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Saquon Barkley for the Giants. They win the game. It was an exciting game the way they came back. It looked like a tale of two halves, and the Giants looked like they they finally woke up after, you know, six quarters of the season. Uh, In the second half of the season, it looked like a different team. But their guy that makes it go, Saquon, went down, and it looks like he's definitely going to miss a Thursday night's game. He might miss a couple of weeks there, and that's a huge blow for the Giants as well. So I just... I wanted to bring that up because I think, you know, both teams are going to be hurting not having these guys, you know, in the huddle and and carrying the ball at least 20 or 25 times a game. Yeah, fortunately for Saquon, it wasn't the dreaded high ankle sprain. So, you know, he's going to miss some time, but he should be back uh, at some point during the season. It might just be a couple of weeks. You know, they're saying maybe three weeks, Uh, you know, short week. This, you know, there's no way he's going to play, you know, against San Francisco. Yeah, the Chubb thing is just, you know, that dude is just nails, man. Everything about his game is just so pure, so smooth. I mean, it can be powerful. It can be graceful. I mean, you just, you can't put, I guess, a price tag on what he means to that team from a character perspective with all the crap that they've brought into that organization over the years. This is one guy you can point to and say, this dude just does his job, does it well. You know, there's no frills around Nick Chubb. He just gets the job done. And it's the same knee he blew up at Georgia, and it just looked awful. You know, you just hope and pray that it's not uh, career-ending because, again, same knee. If it's ACL, MCL, PCL that he had at Georgia, which he came back from, to do that again now at this age – 
fortunately for him, he had a, a decent extension, you know, about a year back, I think it was three years, 36 million. So, you know, at least that part of it's covered. The other injury you didn't mention was, was Burrow, which, I mean, he played through it, but now if the Bengals are looking at this through the lens of Aaron Rodgers, I may have mentioned it last week. We were talking about with these, these calf uh, strains and how then, you know, with the body kind of overcompensating can kind of hit that Achilles. And again, it was no prediction of what was going to happen to Joe Burrow. But now with it being re-aggravated, they just paid him what they paid him. Do they slow play this? They're 0-2. So, I mean, there's a lot that factors into this. I mean, the, the slow start, which it seems like every year they have. But again, 0-2 losing at home to the Ravens, which isn't a, a, a huge deal, but after that first dud against Cleveland week once they're all of a sudden they're not just 0 2, but 0 2 in the division. Uh they got the Rams coming up, I think Monday night. Uh this uh, this is this is one to watch, I think. Again, it, it may not be as obvious as the Chubb one, but you know, in terms of what it means to this season, what it means to a career and a city and everything else that this is, this certainly bears watching. So I'm i I'm a little on edge, I guess, for the Bengals having picked them to win that division, uh, Burrow to win the MVP, uh, a lot of stuff. Let me ask you, Lou, out of the eight teams that are 0-2 right now that have started this season, are the Bengals, are the Bengals the most likely team uh, to make the playoffs out of this bunch, what do you think? I mean, are you putting the money on? I don't them? like any of. I don't like any of them. I'm looking at all the teams. I, you know, the Bengals would be the best, but given what I just said, that's going to play into it. So now, are you going to have Browning, who's never, you know, completed an NFL pass, starting for the Bengals for a week? Maybe two weeks, maybe three, maybe longer, maybe not at all. But then Burrow, you know, tries to play through the injury, hurts again. So it's hard. But, I mean, on the surface, all things being equal in terms of health, you'd have to say for sure. They've been to, you know, a couple AFC championships games in a row. They've been to a Super Bowl. Looking at these other teams, you know, Minnesota, Chicago, Arizona, now Carolina. I mean, none of those teams really give you any confidence to say, hey, we're going to get things done. The Chargers, it just seems like it's the same thing over and over. They can't close games. It, they, they don't look particularly – I mean, it's like they need a stop. They've got one of the most expensive defenses in the NFL, and they, they can't get that stop when they need it. They can't get that clutch drive, it seems like, when they need it. Denver looks out of sorts. I mean, Houston's not going anywhere. The Patriots, maybe, but they lose their first two games at home to two really good football teams. So, again, given the Burrow injury, I might have to say New England with, you know, the Rodgers, obviously, the Jets – are going to have a very difficult time even sniffing the playoffs. Uh, I mean, unless, uh, I mean, unless they do something at quarterback and I don't, you know, I don't see that happening. So I would have to say with Burrow being gimpy, maybe it's the Patriots. Hmm, interesting. I just, I look at the schedule that the Bengals have, you know, they've got the, the Rams, 
and then they're at the Titans, at Arizona, and versus Seattle. And then they have a bye week. So those four games, like, coming up are going to be easy for them. I mean, regardless of if Burrow is not 100% or not, I'm not saying it's a cakewalk, but and the Rams are playing much better than everybody anticipated, but I would say the Bengals, the, the schedule that's on tap for them it will play a role in this. But let me make a case for the Chargers, Lo. Yeah, I, I, I like to make excuses for the L.A. team. Maybe it's because I lived there for so long and we finally got a team in L.A. along with the Rams. But it's just, I'm, yeah, I got a big crush on the Chargers. I picked them to get to the playoffs, win the division. Herbert is my MVP. But I just, I want to make a strong case just because I think their two losses have been by, by a combined five points. Okay. They've actually led their games for a total of over 66 minutes. So as good as the Chargers offense have been, obviously, like you mentioned, they haven't been able to close out games in the fourth quarter. But on Sunday, they were three for three on fourth down. The problem was the third down against the Titans. I'm looking at the stat here, two out of 14, and they just, they, they couldn't, you know, stop. You know, they, they couldn't convert anything against a bad Titans secondary. So, yeah, they gave up big plays against the Dolphins in week one, and they gave up big plays against the Titans in week two, but, and they're allowing like over 10 yards on defense, which is a leak high. It's insane. But I'm still sticking up for them because I think they're going to figure this out. They have to. I mean, they have too many stars on defense to not play like a more cohesive unit. And I think the offense, you know, Austin Eckler should be back, right? Week two, he missed some time. They weren't at full strength. They should have won that game on week two. against. Now, the- I don't mean to stop you there, but I think there was a, a, a note that came out today that actually Eckler's out indefinitely. That's crazy. All right. All right. Put a nail in them. That's it. But, Josh, you know. <laughs> but Joshua, Kelly, Joshua Kelly can run the ball. I don't think that's, you know, that's a death knell right there. Uh, I mean, certainly it hurts. I mean, he's a huge part of the offense, but they got a lot of weapons. I mean, you know, the tight end, three receivers. I mean, like I said, these other running backs are, are pretty good. I don't think that's their issue. I don't, I, I don't know if it's game management. You know, we keep, we almost say this every week, but is Haley coaching for his job? I mean, it just seems really just rinse and repeat with this team every year they fool us going into going into the season and we take the cheese and every year they disappoint i hear what you're saying as far as you know how long they led but again that can go to the you know you can do a 180 and look at it from a negative point of view and say well why the hell aren't they closing these out why can't they finish again you know Mac and Bosa and Derwin James and J.C. Jackson and the and the list goes on with with big contract dudes and I I don't get it 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 just it's mind boggling and it, so it's if it's not the players then you got to look at the coaching what what is going on with this coaching staff? but are they going to let the coach go after like the first month of the season or the the second month of the season I, probably, probably not, not because that's not who the Chargers are. Just in general, they don't no. make moves like this. They don't. They don't pay coaches. They just. They just don't. And I don't know if that's the issue here. But I mean, you got 
God, you just got so much talent. There's got to be something going on there. So basically, you almost have an elimination game this week with the Chargers playing at Minnesota. Um, so it doesn't get any easier for for either team and either coaching staff. Now, O'Donnell, I mean, you know, O'Connell, he's got, uh, you know, a little bit more runway, I believe. They won the division last year. They won a lot of games. Uh, I think the front office made some moves going into this season to kind of, you know, set them up cap wise moving forward. This might be it for Kirk Cousins. Um, so that's that's going to be a very interesting game. It is one of my picks this week. So that's a little tease. Um, but, yeah, I would I would have to say, given the the health uncertainty, if you would, of Joe Burrow, um, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm sticking with New England maybe having the best chance out of this group at this moment. What the hell is going on in Washington? What are they drinking out there, Lou? It just like it looked like a tale of Eric, Eric Bien. All right, let's do this. EB, right. it's the E, it's the EB effect, man. Come on. Not only are they scoring points, but they have an attitude. So whatever the hell it was in the offseason where people were complaining about maybe EB being a little gruff or whatever, he brings an edge, and that and that permeates the team, not just the offense, but the defense too. Now they gave up a ton of points, you know, so it's not like you know it's not the eighty-five Bears out there, but uh, Sam Howell, you know, say what you will, he's getting the job done. Brian Robinson, you know, you got, you know, McLaurin's coming back, you know, to, to health a little bit. Jahan Dotson, his boy from uh, North Carolina, his teammate, Sam Howell's teammate, Diami Brown. I, yeah, they, they, I don't know if this is going to be a thing moving forward, but I like him right now. Yeah. You got to give praise to EB and, and Sam Howell. Here's an interesting stat. The first 51 games of the Ron Rivera era in Washington, Zero 35-point performances from the offense. In his second game, EB and that offense delivered 35 points. It made a huge comeback in the second half. And they, you got so you got to give EB credit because one week ago, the commanders went just two out of five in the red zone conversions. This week, they were two, they scored two touchdowns out of the three trips against the Broncos. Sam Howell, I mean 27 of 39. Almost 300 yards, two touchdowns. They put him in favorable positions. But what I like about Howell and what I saw, didn't watch the game, but what I saw from the highlights, I like his moxie. When he misses, he's going to get back in there and make a play on the next throw. So he, he missed some throws out there during that game against Denver, especially in the first half. But I felt like he bounced back. Nothing phases this guy. And he's a young player. I mean, what is he? He's got, what, three starts under his belt? He's going to get better. So, And then the running game, obviously, which, you know, there's some balance there. You mentioned Robinson, you know, being a rock there, being a star. I mean, he gained like 129 yards from scrimmage. So the only thing that I have a, a beef with is Washington's offensive line is a mess. I mean, Sam Howell is taking sacks. They're giving them up. He's running for his life, and that's something they got to fix. Because, I mean, this kid isn't going to last if the offensive line. They've given up like 10 sacks during the two games. You can't do that. So I know that sometimes he's got to get rid of the ball a little bit quicker, but I just feel like the offensive line has got to rise here. And the defense. I mean, Del Rio's defense 
I mean, gave up 33 points to, to Denver. I realize it was that Hail Mary at the end, but man, knock it down there in the end, Blue. Knock it down. I mean, yeah, because that was, I mean, the Hail Mary came down around the five yard line. It wasn't even in the end zone. <laughs> they basically knocked it back, you know, behind them into the end zone for that score. And fortunately, they didn't get flagged with a pass interference on the two point conversion or this conversation might be a little bit different. Uh, and Sean Payton might have a few more hair follicles left. But uh, yeah, that's uh, Denver. Uh, things things are things are going to start getting very interesting. The heat's starting to turn up. The, not finger pointing, but perhaps the coach called out his quarterback during a during the presser afterwards. How about you're looking at divisions? How about the NFC South when they're hearing all the like vitriol and oh my god, this is the worst division and everything else. Hold my beer, says the NFC South. Three 2-0 teams. The Saints, the Falcons, Tampa Bay, 2-0. Come on, NFC South. Yeah, who would have thought? I mean, Baker Mayfield, Derek Carr, and then we've got, you know, Desmond Ritter. I think Arthur Smith deserves, like, a lot of the credit there just because of he was pulling out all the stops here in the second second game of the season. So has faith in Desmond Ritter. You know, to stick with him there. Bijan Robinson looks like a star. I mean, he's breaking ankles, and he is obviously going to be the the Derek, you know, Henry of this offense, and he's going to ride him for as long as he can. But you got to get Kyle Pitts a little bit more involved. You got we saw Drake London being more involved in week two, but you drafted these guys in the top ten. You got to get more out of them. I just feel like. This is the reason, you know, why the Falcons chose these guys. These are high first-round picks. You got to throw it their way. I mean, you got to use them. You got to use these weapons. Well, you can't just rely on Bijan. As as far as the Falcons are concerned, I think you'll start to see them worked in more as the season goes on because he's going to lean into that running game, and it's not just Bijan. Tyler Algier, that was a you know thousand yard rusher last year, guy from BYU that really wasn't a lot expected from. I mean, he's getting as many totes of the rock as Bijan is, and they're using Bijan a little bit differently too. I mean, he's he was there in Tennessee with. Derrick Henry's and said, well, neither of these guys is that big and they're not going to be able to, you know, take the pounding that, that Derek did. So they are kind of spreading that out a little bit and both are very effective in their own ways. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, B. John Robinson, I mean, he just looks like, he looks like a, I mean, he just gets off the bus and he looks like the best player. Right. So, yeah, I just wanted I guess I would just want to interject that is that I think you'll see those guys. And one, he's got a basically a rookie quarterback trying to get him kind of acclimated and seeing some success with the running game. And then they open it up a little bit more. So, you know, if you've got Pitts or London and fantasy, you're kind of sitting there like, what the hell did I do? But uh, I think second half of the year, you'll see their numbers really start. To come you were up. already like planning Baker's retirement, you know, that he was, he was yes. going to be great yep. on television. You're covering college football maybe doing some, you know, SEC or the Big 12. Look at Baker. I mean, he's got weapons in Tampa. He's got Godwin. He's got Mike Evans. Something that he hasn't had in a long, long time since the Cleveland days where he had the running game. 
I wouldn't necessarily say that he had like big time weapons of wide receiver if you could call OBJ, but he struggled there. I just OBJ, Juice Landry, maybe not as good as these guys, but um, yeah, but the best Baker is back against the wall Baker, and he know this is this is basically it. I mean, if this doesn't work, not that he'd be out of the league, but you know he'd be like bounce around guy. Not really sticking with it, you know, like Andy Dalton, you know, somebody like that just goes team to team now. Probably not, you know, just some spot starts. But if he can make this work, like you said, he's got the weapons. If they can protect him and they run the ball and he's it, it could work. But, you know, let's again, it's two games, but here we go. Baker, Baker's in the conference. I also got to, I have to give props to the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, we already mentioned the Bengals a little bit, but the fact that they had so many injuries on the offensive line, they, they didn't have Ronnie Stanley, the left tackle. They didn't have Linderbaum, the center. They were both missing the game. They kept Lamar Jackson clean all game long. I mean, there was like maybe a couple of hits that Lamar that the Bengals got on Lamar, but they didn't give up a single sack. Also, Zay Flowers, the rookie out of BC, he looks electric. He's a guy that can separate. If he can catch the ball consistently, this guy is going to be a major, major weapon. And the offense, it just looks more diverse this season than it has been in the past. You know, with the new offensive coordinator coming in, I think Todd Munkin has something working there. So, uh, I got to give it to them. I mean, the Ravens pulled off a huge win on the road against the Bengals, but it just, you know, missing guys in the secondary, on the offensive line, but still winning. I don't give the Ravens enough credit. You always put them in the playoffs. I don't. I always leave them out. I, I got to give them credit on the win and just where they're going. I, I just think this is going to be a, a heck of a team culture coaching staff you know unfortunately they're used to playing uh you know a lot of players because it seems like every year they go through this with injuries whether it's the defensive backs the line the running backs i mean the running backs again jk dobbins you know first week i mean done for the year uh and like you said the other injuries i mean humphrey doesn't play and they show up like they did last year in the playoff without Lamar, and they were on the doorstep of beating the Bengals then. So, uh, you know, should we see these things coming? Probably, but you just don't want to believe it because you don't know the names of those backups, or maybe you know the names, but you just don't, uh, you know, how is this going to all work? But somehow they get it done. So, they, again, coaching, culture, and maybe just the fact that they're used to playing a lot of people. Maybe that's, you know, that that's a thing. And Lamar is a, you know, again, it's going to take a while to get, to get used to this, but you see him, you know, making some passes, the touchdown pass to Aguilar was a thing of beauty, just like over the shoulder, just dropped it in the bucket. That was, that was something to watch. I mean, speaking, how about, no, I just want to mention this speaking, go, speaking go. of the lack of culture and a lack of offensive identity. I realized that Zach Wilson threw three picks in the fourth quarter. He laid an egg, not going to go through his numbers. I mean, he was horrific. But Jets, the Jets have to know what their offensive identity is going to be moving forward without Aaron Rodgers. Why did they abandon the running game? I mean, Brees Hall had four touches for nine yards. Are you kidding me? 
I mean, what are you trying to do there? I mean, what are you trying to do? You trying to tell me that did, Zach? Wilson... Did you see his? Did you see his tweet? No, I didn't actually. Tell <laughs> he me. said he said he sent out a tweet after the game with four football emojis. Yeah, just <laughs> basically look, signifying one of his one of his all four of his. Look, touches. I understand. That, I thought that was that was next. Yeah, level. I understand that. that. I mean, he should be frustrated. I mean, both of the running backs should be frustrated. Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook. You have to know your identity. I realize that you're going to get stacked boxes. I realize that teams are going to stop the run and going to let you know they're going to dare Zach Wilson beat them. But you have to kind of put in more tight ends run the football, just smash mouth, slow down the game. You've got a great defense there. You have to run the football. You can't possibly expect Zach Wilson to win the game for you. He's just, he's not a next level quarterback. There's a reason why you brought in Aaron Rodgers and he's going to struggle. And that's why I think the Jets, they need to be on the phone. They're, they have to be getting some veterans out there, trade for them, sign somebody, they have to be on the phone asking for, you know, calling teams to to try to give them a backup. Maybe it's Jameis Winston. Maybe it's Andy Dalton. If somebody is willing to give up a guy that has started in this league, I would be making those rounds if I'm Joe Douglas. I just, I'm not sure I can stomach Zach Wilson for the next couple of games before I pick up the phone. And I hope they're doing their due diligence behind closed doors. Well, they paid the money to Dalvin Cook. They've got Brees Hall. Not the, and again, they want to bring, I think, Brees Hall after the knee injury back kind of slowly. And in the first game, I think he only had 10 carries. But for him to only get four touches in a game like that where your quarterback is struggling mightily and, you know, He's just, I mean, he's going to be the centerpiece of that offense right now. I mean, it has to be. I mean, you'd love it to be Garrett Wilson because of, he's just such such a dynamic talent, but you got to have somebody that can get him the ball consistently. And he did hit the one big play, but uh, yeah, I agree with you there. I don't know. Joe Douglas is going to do his due diligence. I don't know if there's any team out there right now that's willing to really give up a quarterback unless they get something, you know, very valuable in return. And in their mind, you know, the jets now they're thinking, well, do we really want to give up, you know, a, a ton right now for somebody that we get for a year? Not really sure if it's going to work. Cause I don't know if there's really anybody out there right now that could come in and kind of instantly get things going for them. Um, the only one that, that I guess kind of makes sense and it may make even more sense in the next couple of weeks if they keep losing is maybe a Kirk Cousins where there it would be just a this season rental because he becomes a free agent. You're not going to bring him back. Um, and he would be a guy that could kind of handle all the noise and everything around New York. And he just he's just a professional. He's going to do his job and do it pretty well. Some of these other guys, I don't know that you're going to get much out of it. And then you're absolutely now have have just 
closed the door on the Zach Wilson experiment. Kirk Cousins. Kirk so Co- I don't know that they're. I don't know if they're ready to. Do Kirk that. Cousins is a great name, but the Vikings aren't going to get rid of him after the first couple of weeks. They're going to wait till the trade deadline. So, and I like that. Well, I mean, they're Owen. What I'm saying is they're Owen two now. If they lose like the next couple of, they're Owen four, and it's just apparent we're we're not going anywhere. Let's try to get something for him. And I, I understand, you know, the trade deadline you know deadlines make deals but that, and i don't even know if they'd be willing to do that but i'm just saying I, I don't know if there's anybody out there you're just going to bring in a guy just to bring in a guy i don't know that the, the jets are going to do that they'll just say we'll just ride it out with our young guy we'll see what he has probably not a whole lot but you know we'll just hope you know hope that aaron comes back healthy next year and we'll give it a go then. Kirk Cousins is perfect for that offense because it's Shanahan's offense, LaFleur. I mean, he knows that offense like the back of his hand, so he'll be a great fit there. But I don't think the coaching staff can afford to think we'll have Aaron back next year because this coaching staff isn't going to be there, Lou. I just, if they fall flat on their faces again. Well, they have, they have kind of a built-in excuse here with Rodgers being hurt so early in the season. So I think Douglas, they're not going to get rid of Douglas. And I think the ownership, they're tied to, to Aaron Rodgers. And, and again, yeah, I mean, coming back from Achilles at 40 years old, it's not something that you can necessarily rely on, but I, I think right now that's the that's the track they're but taking. I Sala is. I just don't see them bringing anybody Sala else is in. on a hot seat right now. I mean, if this team goes like four and thirteen or five and twelve, I'm sure they're going to make a change. Okay, I mean, with all due respect, yeah, I, I, just, I I don't I don't agree. I mean, unless they unless they move Hackett up to the head coach, because you Aaron. I mean, that was like the. I, I mean, I would think about 80 or 90 percent of the pull for Aaron Rodgers to be in New York. So if you get rid of if you get rid of Sala, then the rest of the staff goes. Do you keep Hackett now just to, for Aaron? I don't know. I, I just don't see is, is Sala really he maybe he should be. And he will be in the press, but I don't think Woody Johnson and that group is going to say we're going to bail on Sala because of what happened this year. Because, again, it was all kind of built around Aaron Rodgers. So, again, if it didn't work with Rodgers, then I agree with you. But without him being there, I think that's kind of insulates him a little bit. Is Dallas the best team in the NFC? Well, they certainly look like it. <laughs> Micah, Micah Parsons, I mean, this was the easy one. You know, we'll talk about MVP of the week, and that would have been the easy pick. I'm going to go in another direction. But right now, I mean, they've scored the most points. They've given up the least. Uh, you know, McCarthy, so far, I mean, it looks like a genius move that, hey, we've got this offensive coordinator that's maybe playing a little fast and loose with the quarterback and all these turnovers. And McCarthy says, wait a second, we've got this great defense. Let's run the ball. Let's just like act, think and dunk around and we'll, you know, we'll figure out scoring points and not put the defense in a bad position. And again, so far, the two New York teams, you can say, I mean, that first, the first game against the Giants was hopefully that's an anomaly as far as the Giants are concerned. 
but it didn't look like it you know, for, through the first half of last Sunday. And the Jets, obviously, we just talked about the Jets. So we'll pump the brakes a little bit, but two weeks in, you got to say Micah Parsons might be a candidate for MVP of the league, certainly the defensive player of the league. He's probably going to get like, I don't know, he'd probably have to have like 25 or 30 sacks to win MVP in this day and age, but my God, the kid just looks phenomenal. By the way, is it possible in today's NFL for a defensive player to win the MVP award? I mean, with all those numbers being put up by different quarterbacks, you know, throwing insane numbers as far as passing yards and touchdowns, is it possible for a defensive player in today's NFL you know, we've got the Boses, we've got T.J. Watts, you know, we've got Micah Parsons. Is it possible? I mean, will we see that, Lou? What do you think? Well, it hasn't happened since since LT, uh, the original LT, Lawrence Taylor now. So let's, uh, I know a lot, a lot of young, you know, a lot of our younger listeners probably don't, you know, haven't seen him. But, you know, certainly if you go on YouTube, I mean, this guy was just a ferocious player. And I think right now, I mean, not to say that he's as good or whatever, but Micah Parsons is the closest thing to that because they can move him around anywhere. I mean, he's LT could cover anybody. He could rush the passer. I mean, he anything, stop the run, setting the edge. Micah Parsons is doing the same things. He would, like I said, he would have to do something generational and at very least break the sack record and would have to be maybe smash the sack record uh maybe some interceptions as well just the statistical part of it uh it's a very high mountain to climb to beat a a quarterback just the way things have been going and all just kind of like the eggs in the basket of the quarterbacks and the advantages that they have because they have the ball in their hands they're the glamour guys so impossible no highly unlikely yes this leads us to our next segment that we're going to bring in every week. Wait a second. Before okay. we do that, I got to throw this I got to throw this name out. We cannot go this entire show and not mention Puka Nakua. Wide Who? receiver from BYU. Everybody everybody that plays fantasy football right now knows who Puka Nakua is. All right? The dude has smashed a record, okay, an NFL record, long-standing since I think 1980. In his first two games as an NFL player, he has 25 receptions. 25. He was targeted in the San Francisco game 20 times. Had 15 receptions over 150 yards. The week before, I think he had 10 receptions. So obviously that makes 25. So hello, Lou. Let's let's do some math. So, but anyway, Puka Nakua. Who had him? Now again, he was I think the most picked up fantasy player going into this past week. Did not disappoint. As long as Cooper Cup, even when Cooper Cup comes back, he's Matthew Stafford loves this dude. Again, a rookie from BYU, Puka Nakua, give him his props. Well, keep him on the roster uh, as far as I'm concerned for now, while Cooper Cup hasn't returned. I think once he returns, 
He's going to take. Oh, dude is going to. I don't know. Watching those first two games, he's still going to ball. I mean, he's not going to get the the volume if, if Cup is right, but he's still going to be a factor. He would he'll definitely be the number two for sure. I remember Zach Wilson throwing to him, you know, a couple of years back. I remember that. I mean, he was he was one of the the BYU wide receivers there. I mean, those guys are like what when they come into the league, they're like twenty five years old. So. He's got that working for him. Yeah, and you figure they're more so like a tight end, you know, no speed. But this kid is different, man. He, again, as good as San Francisco's defense was, and they really, I mean, he, Stafford was throwing a little bit to Atwell, but, gee, 20 targets, a rookie. Wow. Puka Nakua. I love that name, Lou, and you say it so well. You say it a lot better than the ESPN guys, so let's let's give you a promotion. I'll take it. Yeah. Sign MVP. Hello. I mean, you said it's not Micah Parsons, so surprise me here. We're going to go with our new segment. We're going to do MVP MVP, MVP of the week. Uh, Offense, defense, doesn't matter. Just, you know, pick out a guy. You know, Alex will do the same. I'm sure he did. And this one, again, I wanted to go a little bit off the beaten path because, again, Chris Jones comes back and looks like he's in midseason form. Micah Parsons did what he did against the Jets. I mean, these are two defensive guys that had great games. You know, Mike Evans had a huge game. Uh, Tua looks like he's just on point, sharp. I, we were, I don't know. I think maybe we were wrong about this kid, obviously. So does he get the bat? We'll see. But I tell you what, for my money, and it was only basically for a half, the Giants were teetering maybe on like the season being wasted a game and a half in. 60 to nothing they're down basically at halftime 40 from dallas 20 from from the arizona cardinals danny dimes man give him his respect come on danny he had a huge game running passing again huge second half granted it was against arizona but i think with everything on the line him being a, a new york quarterback they were again on the brink, I guess, at that point. Oh, it was going to be Armageddon if they lost at Arizona after getting rolled 40 to nothing at home by the Cowboys. He cut it loose, he looked confident. I mean, dare I say, he was looking a little bit like Josh Allen without the reckless plays. Danny Dimes, my MVP of the week. I'm going to go with Michael Parsons just because of everything you said before. I'm not going to try to to be cute here uh he was the best player i did i i was being cute but i liked my danny dimes i like i like danny dimes as well obviously he came through in the second half but michael parsons two sacks three quarterback pressures forced fumble fumble recovery as far as i'm concerned this guy can play in the secondary he can play cornerback you know, he can return kicks punts whatever you want i mean this is like this is like, you know, like you said, LT reincarnated. Maybe you can put him on offense if they need, you know, an extra receiver opposite of CeeDee Lamb. I think we can put him at running back if needed. He was a running back in high school, by the way. So I just, I feel like Micah Parsons were, were being too cute here. He was the most dominant player in week two, and he makes that defense go. They have a lot of good players, but he's the one that makes them tick, and... You know, there are not too many defensive players 
that can change the game the way he can. You have the game plan for him. There are just not too many guys like that. that that's all I'm saying. There's only a handful. And I think we saw a few of them making big-time plays during Week 2. I mean, we saw T.J. Watt coming yeah, after last night, TJ, Deshaun yeah. Watson. Hell, his running – Alex Highsmith looked like, looked like one of those unblockable guys. Gar- you know, uh, Miles Garrett, you know, to some degree – I mean, he was getting some pressure on there too, but what an ugly game that was. But, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And, Mike, yeah, obviously. I mean, this is one of those things where – Again, you could almost say almost every week he could be the MVP because he just is everywhere, has his hands in in every part of the game. Every part of the game is pass rush, setting the edge, you know, covering guy. You don't want to drop him into coverage, right? You know, you don't want to waste him, but he's so good at everything. He could play everywhere. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. But again, I had to give Danny Dimes his props. How does this guy um, fall all the way out of the top 10 and, and lands with the Dallas Cowboys? I just, you know, it's just, it's almost like I remember Terrell Suggs falling to the Ravens, you know, and they picked him up and he was perfect for that defense. There are always some defensive players yeah, that, are, that are falling for different yeah, reasons. Yeah, it seemed like, the, you know, the quarter... The quarterbacks got pushed, you know, a couple quarterbacks got pushed up, right? And then I think Carolina was so enamored with with the defensive back, J.C. Horn, and Micah opted out of the COVID year at Penn State. So it was almost like out of sight, out of mind. And I was like, you know, do you remember what he did the year, the two years before that at Penn State? So I think there was a few factors there. And it was just, I mean, that was just the, a, a stroke of uh, genius, if you would. By the, I mean, or either that or it was just like, can you believe he fell to us? You know, what? What are you sure? Is he still really no one turned in the card? And it's like race up there, put his name on it, let's go, and that just you know that that's turned out well. For when Dallas, I scouted for sure. players, uh, the defensive players that year, there was one game that I remember, and it was Micah Parsons against Memphis. It was the year before; it was in a bowl game, and he, I think, he was just getting through. Uh, when they were sending him on the blitz, he was making tackles for loss on the running backs. He was. Breaking up, blowing up plays. He's he was got a couple of sacks. I think he got like a forced fumble. I never saw a player in a while that dominated the way he did during a big time game. Memphis was good that year, by the way, and so Penn State wasn't playing just you know a team that barely made the bowl game. I just felt like you know if if a defensive coach in the NFL can put him in the right position and use him in the best way. And I'm sure Dan Quinn watched some tape of that game because it just looks like he's using him in the same way. He was just busting up plays behind the line of scrimmage and making the offense, you know, just try to get like two or three guys on him so he doesn't get across the line of scrimmage. It was just one of the best defensive performances that I've seen probably in the last like 10 years period and so if a defensive coach could get that performance out of him every week which it seems like dan quinn is pushing the right buttons and this guy wants to be great he's got a podcast i believe and he just he talks about how passionate he is about the game it's just this guy is special and i think the sky is the limit if he stays healthy i mean this kid could break records low 
for single season or all-time records. I mean, this is that's how good he is. And he's not a guy that that lines up as a defensive end like Miles Garrett. You know, he's not a guy that that's up there uh, rushing the passer on every play and it just it's special when a guy can change the game like that. And it's I I love defensive players. In an age when it's all about offense, 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 it's about the rules being swayed on the offensive side. It's all about protecting the quarterbacks and scoring points because it's the sexy thing. I love watching dominant defensive performances, and there's there's so far like there's so few in between. But when we when I watch it, it just it makes me appreciate the game a little bit more, considering what this guy could do if the rules weren't as swayed towards the offensive side of the ball, maybe if he was playing like 15 or 20 years ago. Well, the big, I mean, one of the things that, you know, coming into, you know, this off season that I think he realized is that he actually bulked up a little bit, put on some weight over, over the off season and somehow maintained the speed. Maybe even he's a little bit faster. At least he looks like it on TV. So, yeah, I mean, this kid is just some, something different and uh, just appreciate appreciate the, the difference makers while you have them because uh, they don't come around that often. All right. So, you know, yes, this is pros like us and we talk about the pro game, but uh, you got to take a minute at least here before we get out or at least get to the pig segment and talk about a college story. And this isn't just a college football story. This is almost like a cultural story. And we, we touched on it a little bit, but the Colorado Buffaloes, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, what he's doing there, what he, the, the attention that he's brought, not just to that community, but just to college football in general. You've got you know major networks bringing their pregame shows there to Boulder two weeks in a row. Uh, Fox didn't even have the game last week and they did their big noon show from Boulder. Uh, you've got celebrities on the sideline. And again, it's not so much about the flash. I think it's just the fact that he completely changed over the team. There's, I think, eight kids left over from last year and they play fairly disciplined football, at least for the first two weeks. Now, again, with all the hype turned up, with all the spotlight on him, you know, after the first two weeks, I'm sure these kids were feeling themselves a little bit. So they're playing Colorado State last Saturday night. ESPN kind of, you know, kind of cherry picks the game. They got, but again, it's on at 10 Eastern, so it's a little bit later. And you know, they were kind of flat for for a lot of the game, but you know, they they came back. They sent it into overtime. Uh, Shadur Sanders leads them on a 98-yard drive to to get the game tied. You know, after a two-point conversion as well, and they end up winning in double overtime. But the the story of the game to me, and, and I wanted to ask you about this, Alex, was the hit put on Travis Hunter was just. It, it, I, I'm trying to reconcile this, and and again, I can't see a kid from Colorado State, you know, being, it wasn't like some freshman that was just out of his mind and wanted to go make a name for himself. This kid is like a four-year starter, two-way player in high school, decorated guy. And it was so far after the whistle, it was a, a defenseless player. You know, 
these players have all these protections, especially with the targeting rule in the field of play and guys get kicked out of games. They miss games the following week. And there was almost like no mention of this when this guy came in, spears him, ends up lacerating his liver, and now Travis Hunter is out for three games. But just I, I haven't seen anything where the Mountain West comes out and, and suspends him or the, the team or the coach suspends him. It's almost like nothing. The only thing I've heard now, and this is kind of unfortunate, is that his family and he have been getting death threats because of you know what he did to Travis Hunter, which is way over that, which is just nuts. And many of the many of these you know go, it's just somebody with uh, you know like key, keyboard courage, if you would, and just you know kind of getting their pound of flesh because you hurt our guy. But just the the thing that that really got me is it wasn't really it wasn't really dealt with, right? I mean, it was such an, you know, in the NFL, that's probably a suspension, certainly a fine, more than just a penalty. It just, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. And just, you just watch the rest of that game with a different mindset. And I just thought that was horrible. Yeah, that was an ugly play. But what about last night's game? What'd you think about the Deshaun Watson thing? I mean, the NFL is going to look into it. I'm just surprised. I mean, it looked like he shoved the ref out. And, you know, whenever you touch the ref, you're usually ejected out of the game. He's so he's getting he's getting a big fed. He's his FedEx letter is going to have a lot of zeros on it. Uh, yeah, he, he's going to be paying. I just it wasn't and, and it again, wasn't as brutal. But I'm just saying, if you touch a ref in an NFL game, whoever you are, you usually get oh, yeah, ejected absolutely. out of the game. Here is a quarterback and they took it easy on him. I mean, as far as I I'm don't know concerned. if the, I don't know if the if the referee was just kind of like, well, he stumbled or this or that. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't get in the referee's head but i'm sure after you know park avenue you know the league office looks at looks at the film and everything else well and then the other two plays where he's grabbing defensive players face masks and and kind of twisting you know you don't and and twice so he's the frustration is coming out and again i i guess i didn't want to touch on this too much but it almost seems like the ownership threw a bunch of money at a dude and obviously with all his baggage and whatever, and the coaching staff really hasn't built the, the offense to his strengths. I don't think their offense is okay. Nick Chubb, we're going to run the ball, play action pass, whatever. And I don't know that that was really his deal in Houston. It was more spread the field, just like at at Clemson. We're going to spread the field, little zone read here and there RPOs and we're going to go deep. Um, and, and I think the front is no excuse, but the frustration is coming out. He's certainly going to get fined. Uh, you know, the referee portion of it, I have no idea how that went unnoticed or at least uncalled. Yeah, that was brutal. I mean, you're, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head with Deshaun Watson just being frustrated because he threw a pick on the first play of the game, which was a pick six for a touchdown. And then obviously, you know, T.J. Watt went after him. He had a fumble. So he didn't play well. Deshaun Watson and that offensive staff, they're just not clicking. And, I mean, if there's – they gave him all that money, 
you know if it doesn't work, Stefanski is going to lose his job. So it's not going to be Deshaun right. Watson here. So uh, I just, you know, there's got to be some compromise out there. They got to talk. They got to work it out because it seems like there's just this miscommunication between Deshaun Watson and that offensive staff and what he can do and what his strengths are. I always feel like you have to, th- this is why... Uh, kind of have a beef with Shanahan with the 49ers. I feel like you draft a quarterback, you tell the entire world that he brings a different dimension, and then you don't use that dimension. Like you think your offense is going to be more lethal, right? And then you don't use his strength, his biggest strength. I'm talking about Trey Lance as a runner. And so you you try to make Lance fit into that offense. And this is what Stefanski is trying to do with Deshaun Watson. So for all these coaches are a lot smarter than I am, Lou. There's no question about it. They're, you know, they're running NFL franchises. But sometimes you're just, you're, you're too stubborn to notice. Just let the guy play and put him in the best position to execute and what he does well. And when you realize that you're trying to fit a certain system on him that he's just not comfortable with, it's not going to work. And you're going to lose your job by being too, you know, too stubborn, too big-headed to try to, you know, just fit him into the system. So that's that's all I'm saying. Advice for Stefanski, you know, open it up a little bit. Let, you don't have Nick Chubb anymore. Deshaun Watson is going to be your primary guy. You got to open it up. You got to put more receivers out there, and you got to let him operate. You know that's that's what he was best at at Clemson. That's what he did with Houston under Bill O'Brien. That's why they went into the playoffs. They won a lot of games. You know he had an MVP type season one one year. I, I got you. Got to bring him back to that. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that you know coaching staff and coach offensive coaches sometimes they they get too cute. And they stick to what they know best. But sometimes you have to adjust if you want to keep your job. Well, this may be, I mean, the one, I guess, silver lining, I guess, of of the Chubb injury is now they are going to have to change the way they play. And to your point, Alex, yeah, I mean, you, you don't just bring this guy in. This is what he is. And you say, well, okay, well, no, we need you to play like this now. And completely change, you know, is the team built to, to to spread the field? Is that offense, that offensive line is more of a mashing, you know, run-oriented offensive line? Are they going to be able to kind of, you know, adapt and be more of a pass-protecting line? Uh, so there's a lot of tentacles to this. And, you know, from a team-building perspective, like I said, and I'm going to repeat myself, is that they bring this guy. You're going to change your franchise. You've traded all these assets. You're paying all this money. You know, you're dealing with all the, the, the public relations fallout from this move. And you're almost like, I don't know, you're like condemning the whole thing to fail by not playing to his strengths. And so um, we are repeating ourselves here. But the bottom line is, hey, 
again, you hate to see it, Chubb, whatever. You know, are they going to bring in uh, a, a, a back? You know, Cam Akers is on the trading block. Do they look there? Kareem Hunt's still sitting out there, a free agent. They let him go for a reason. I don't know if they want to bring him back. Is Jerome Ford the guy? Uh, you know, Pierre Strong, the you know FCS guy. That, that played so well, uh, you know, in in college, but you know, so they've got a lot of different ways to go. But the bottom line, as far as Sean Watson's concerned, finds galore on his whatever the hell that was last night, and then two, hey, let's let's kind of tweak the offense and and do what he does best because otherwise this is not not going to work out. Okay, picks. We we rebounded a little bit last week. Thanks to the Steelers and TJ Watt and, and Alex Highsmith, because I have no idea how they won that game. Or if anybody that bet the under this game, I, I truly empathize with you because there was no way that many points should have been scored in that game. But three and one uh, at the time we picked Atlanta, they were dogs. So we won that one plus one. We lost with Houston, of course. Uh, Washington plus three and a half. They won outright. Pittsburgh plus two and a half. They won outright. Okay, so this week, I don't, I didn't see a lot of games that I really loved. So I'm, I'm going for chaos here. All right, the chaotic piece starts in Minnesota. It's a pick'em game. It looks easy. Oh, the Chargers. Should, I'm taking. Minnesota even and the Staley hot seat turns into boiling water and the Chargers are ready to implode second game I'm sticking with the commanders they're at home they're getting six and a half the bills coming in they come off kind of a big win I don't know it was against the Raiders Josh Allen didn't really change the way he played the result was better he didn't turn it over but you still watch the game he's trying to jump over people he's throwing back against his body they're going to it's going to catch up with them. So I'm going to take Washington here. This one scares me the most because again, it looks so easy. Detroit is a three point favorite at home against Atlanta, Atlanta. They've won the first two games, but you know, again, if you watch again, green Bay kind of imploded in the fourth quarter. Uh, so I'm going to take Detroit anyway. They kind of they kind of laid an egg there against Seattle. That that was a, a winnable game for them. But uh, yeah, it looked like they 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 played last year at the beginning of the year, coming off that win against Kansas City. Maybe they were a little a uh, little too high on their horse. That knocked them down. So let's go Detroit minus three. And the last one, one thing that I never ever do, but I'm doing it today. Uh, I'm going to take an intra divisional road favorite and that is new england minus three at the jets uh belichick's defense ate zach wilson for lunch last year a couple of times um i think they'll do it again i don't like laying points on the road especially in the division but i'm going to do it here because i think new england even though they lost those two games they played two really good teams Fairly tough. At least they were in the game making a few plays. It's still kind of choppy with Mac Jones and getting used to O'Brien. But again, I'm, I'm relying more so on the Jets' inept offense to really sink their ship again this week. So Minnesota pick them. Washington plus six and a half. Detroit minus three. New England minus three. Alex, you have a lock of the week. I'm taking the Steelers on the road 
versus the Raiders. I think it's minus one I, based on what I saw. I think they're underdogs. I think the Raiders are favored. Oh, they are. But what I saw is the Raiders plus one at home. So the Steelers were the Hold favorites. On, that's, let's, that's the line that I saw. I think this is. I think this might be better for you. Give me a second. All right, no here. problem. Let's but I just fire up, fire up the Google machine. Anything that's and... anything that's plus three or minus three, I'm I'm taking the Steelers. I just think that they'll cover a field goal. You know, in this case, so um, I'm taking them on the road. Just. I think they'll destroy it's Monday night, right? No, it's Sunday. Raiders. it's Sunday. I think it's Sunday. Sunday night. Right. Sunday night. Sorry. Sunday night. Raiders minus one and a half. All right. I'm taking the Steelers on the road. If it's plus one and a half, I mean, that's an easy pick. I'm actually surprised you're not picking one of these games. I mean, that's that's an easy one. That's a layup. I mean, Josh McDaniel is. You think? Yeah, it's a layup. <laughs> I mean, Josh McDaniel is going to give that one to me. I mean, that's. With Jimmy G looking like, you know, his old self, I mean, he's a guy that's turning the ball over, now, and yeah, I mean, like I said, he's going to lose his job. Now, granted, they they did have they did have the big play to Pickens, but that was pretty much the extent of the Steeler offense last night, and it just, it's scary. It's mind-boggling. I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I thought, you know, uh, Pickett was going to make a step up. And it seems like not so much. It, you know, long season still. I mean, that was just two games. But, yeah, that's uh, that was a hard game to watch. I just think this game is more is based more on the Raiders' ineptitude on offense and the Steelers, I think, dominating on defense. And I think it's going to continue. And I just, uh, you know, there's I'll take Tomlin over Josh McDaniel any day of the week. So the fact that the Raiders right. are the favorites at home – I think that's a slam dunk. And when I say a slam dunk, that means the Raiders win by 40, Lou. So, I mean, that's... Take it to the bank. All right, Alex. That is going to do it for us this week. Happy week three, folks. Again, go ahead and hit subscribe. Help us out. And uh, don't miss an episode. Until next time, he's Alex. I'm Lou. Peace.